This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell. Joining me by phone today are the Toledo Symphony's president and CEO, Zach Vassar, also principal second violin and artistic administrator, Merwin Sue. Welcome, gentlemen. Glad to be here. Hello. We're almost there. Yeah, almost here. Well, we've been doing this for a few weeks now. Of course, everybody is uh, sequestering at home and social distancing, and we're still in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. So things are changing. We've talked a lot about uh, what the symphony has been doing in terms of keeping the music alive. And and today we're going to talk about the way that the Toledo Symphony is collaborating with WGTE to keep the music alive. Of course, this podcast broadcast that we do is, is sort of part of that collaboration, but in lieu of the actual concerts in hall with the TSO, we're, we're putting older concerts uh, on television. Uh, Zach, maybe you can talk a little bit about this. You can explain it probably uh, better than I can. <laughs> well, I, I don't know about that, Brad, but it, what I would say is that um, you know, we've, we've been so fortunate to partner with WGTE on some of our most innovative projects. And, of course, this podcast is one of them. Uh, the other, though, is our TSO in HD uh, uh, process that we go through in our peristyle performances. This is where we have the cameras on stage providing kind of a simulcast in the hall, and uh, it, it, it brings so many people closer to the product and into the artistry that's happening in real time in front of them. So uh, it's one of my favorite, favorite projects that we've brought on board in the last couple of years. But as we went into the kind of age of coronavirus and we couldn't do performances anymore, uh, I had a really wonderful conversation uh, with you, Brad, and, and, uh, and, and Ray and Marlon, and we talked about whether we could take some of that TSO and HD footage from previous concerts and put them on television. So, you know, and, and this has been just such an exhilarating opportunity for our community to come together on, on Sunday nights and to spend their dinner hour watching their favorite orchestra and reliving some wonderful memories of past concerts. And the feedback we've been receiving has just been uh, very special. And I love that through this innovation that we brought into the concert hall years ago, uh, now we can um, innovate yet again and repurpose these great video and audio products and bring them into everybody's living rooms at this critical time. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting that the the people behind the camera, as it were, the people who are producing these broadcasts, Bob Bell on your side and uh, and Courtney Clark on our side, who is a TV producer, um, you know, it, it's done in such a way that you wouldn't even know that this was supposed to air during live performance, right, with the big screens. You would think it was like a, a produced production in and of itself so it's a, it's a That's great right. a great experience for everybody i want to mention these are sunday evenings at six o'clock on wgte tv 30 you can only watch them if you are uh, in the broadcast area actually watching uh, channel 30 as well so we're going to talk about the concert that is happening uh, this sunday at six o'clock it's one of these aggregate concerts that elaine trudell has put together called new american classics and there's a lot of new music on here. There's a world premiere of, of the Tuba Concerto by Samuel Adler. Um, I want to talk a little bit about that because I've, I've made sort of a, a clip show, right? We talked about this previously with guests um, on this program, but it's been a while. 
And so I thought it'd be fun to bring back some of the voices that are associated with the, this concerto, including, of course, composer Sam Adler, but also the tuba player, uh, David Saltzman. Let's listen to this, and then we can come back with our uh, thoughts afterward. Let me find it. Hang on. Okay. Can we get the harp? Can we do the harp thingy? Tell me about this this tuba concerto. Uh, there's some interesting things about it that I that I want to ask. I have not heard it. Obviously, it's having the world premiere at this concert. But uh, how long have you uh, you had it? You've looked at it, right? Oh, I think so. I think yeah. I think I've looked at it a little bit since uh, since it's going to be premiered in a couple weeks here. Um, hey, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> no, with Sam's writing, I definitely needed some time. There's no question about that. It's a very difficult concerto. Um, the thing that um, I've had it for about maybe six months now, I'd say, just give or take. And uh, when I talked to Sam originally about writing it, the only thing that I requested was that he, um, uh, Sam and I are both Jewish, and I asked him if he if he would mind including some portion of Jewish or Judaism in, mm-hmm. in the piece. And in the first movement, he writes it as a, a cantillation. So you can hear the tuba kind of singing like a cantor would be singing over the, over his congregation. Oh, okay. So, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, it opens up with a nice, beautiful, slow movement. Well, um, Sam, of course, knows a lot about cantors and cantorial singing. His father was a famous cantor. Without a doubt. And actually, yeah, yeah Sam, Sam is uh, very present in our congregation. And we're hearing a little bit of the actual performance there in the background because obviously this happened some time ago but uh kind of interesting to hear what david had to say zach i wonder if you or merwin if either one of you want to uh, take the lead on this to talk a little bit about the process of of how it, a new piece of music like this uh, gets to the stage well it's always different i think every commission that that i've been a part of just in the last couple of years has happened differently uh, this one was a, a, a felt like a very organic and special project. Uh, Sam Adler, a wonderful composer, uh, one of the great composition minds of of our our era, really, not just of current day, uh, is one of our trustees and right. had always uh, wanted to find ways to bring his music uh, to our orchestra and you know with great care and concern for. Um, uh, for the beautiful musicians we have, he wanted to create something uh, that would expand the repertoire. And in this case, he rightly pointed out that there are very few concertos for tuba, and he had never written one. So he really wanted to um, kind of add that to his compositional uh, process and to think about the range of the instrument. And um, I remember at one point he had remarked to me that you know, the, the tuba is not necessarily thought of for its lyrical beauty, but rather he wanted to create something that would showcase the, the true range of an instrument that's often thought of as just low notes. Uh, and I think he massively succeeded in this. Uh, the yeah. premiere happened, um, I believe it was September of 2018, uh, which feels like yesterday, but obviously isn't anymore. And uh, the slow movement that Dave was just talking about, um, it, it, it is just a beautiful way to begin the concerto. Here's a little clip of, of Sam himself. We were able to get him on the phone for that uh, podcast episode, and, and here he is introducing, uh, talking about the piece itself. 
Well, I'm here. Brad and Merwin is here. Very and, good. And Felicia Canny is here, and we also have uh, David Saltzman. You've heard of David, right? Well, he's very important in this <laughs> conversation. We can't have the uh, tuba concerto without him. He's been telling us a little bit about this concerto, and I didn't, I, I, I didn't make the connection, but. He talked about uh, the first movement, cantillation, and the connection to cantorial singing, right? Uh, which is something that you are obviously very familiar with. Can you talk a little bit about that first movement? Well, the first movement and the cadenza, uh, which comes between the second movement and the last movement, uh, are related to cantillation, which is, uh, as you say, a kind of uh, home for me because of my father who was a cantor and used that cantillation. It doesn't uh, use the exact same tune, but it is in the form of a cantillation, meaning that the lyrical part of the instrument is used in it. Because the tuba uh, has so many phases to it, and I try to get every all of it into this concerto. It is my 17th concerto, and maybe I get it right this time. (laughs) (laughs) But your first for tuba, though, right? The first for tuba, and I hope the last. (laughs) (laughs) We Um, don't hope that. (laughs) David is waiting out for part two, holding holding out for another concerto. Oh, no, this is hard enough (laughs) for him to work on his whole life David, do you have anything you want to say to Sam while we're while we're uh, you know on the record careful here? Careful now, careful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I honestly would just like to express my deepest gratitude for not only writing this concerto for, for you know uh, kind of for me, but for the Toledo Symphony and also just for our, for my instrument in general. I think it's just a, a huge contribution for um, for for tuba players, and I just can't wait to share it. Um, you know, with with the audience here in Toledo, and uh, hopefully with other tuba players. I know a lot of tuba players are coming in for the concert from around the area and from around the country, actually, to hear it. Um, so hopefully, you know, um, I, I, I just I, I hope to do you justice. Is all I can say. Well, I know you will, and <laughs> I'm so grateful to you. I mean, you've worked so hard, and you know, you played it for me, and I couldn't believe how perfect it was. Wow. <laughs> it was really yeah. wonderful, and. Uh, I'm just delighted that we're going to hear it, uh, and hopefully um, uh, you can play it again several times. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that for sure. Yeah, right. for sure. Well, I'm glad you guys get along. That's good. <laughs> so far, so far. Anyway. So far. <laughs> you know, we, have no we have to get through the concert first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as long as right. we'll, we'll check in on. I'll, I'll give you another call on October 21st, and we'll we'll see how you. How you feel I'm going out of town. <laughs> Well, Sam, it's been great talking with you, and we look forward to this concert. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, it's it's uh, wonderful, and, and, re- and you're going to be there, obviously. For, oh, I hope so. Yeah, definitely. And I bring you friends. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope everybody else brings friends. Wow. The same he he made some of the same points that you made there, Zach. And, and that that first movement, you know, inspired by a Jewish cantorial singing. His dad was a famous cantor, as you mentioned. But but later on, it becomes 
you know, much more colorful and virtuosic, especially that last movement, uh, if I remember correctly. But it's interesting, Merwin and I, uh, we were talking before we got on air and about a, a possible kind of correlation between Sam Adler's early journey and that of uh, Eric Wolfgang Korngold, who was also on this piece. And, and maybe we can talk about that briefly because Sam has a, a remarkable story uh, born in 1928 in Germany. Um, his father was a cantor. He was from, you know, a Jewish family. And they went through a lot of uh, difficulties getting out of the country on their way to uh, escaping the Nazi regime uh, and coming to the United States many, many, many years ago when Sam was still a kid. And, and Korngold himself in, in the 1930s, uh, also a Jewish composer, managed to escape uh, Eastern Europe at the time and make his way to uh, Hollywood where he set up shop. I mean, do you do you see the parallels there, Merwin? Well, I think one of the really interesting things that Alain Trudel, our music director, is able to do in putting together these aggregate concerts is he kind of, you get to curate these additional connections between pieces that might not even have been intended in the original performances or in, or, or in the original programs, but kind of like when you move a painting from one gallery to another, you highlight new aspects of that painting. And in this case, I think it's really interesting to hear these two concertos by these people who lived the Jewish emigre experience. And I think that there's something that's very much part of that even in the Korngold Concerto, there's this kind of, there's this optimism in that v- just the very first notes that always reminds me of the launching of a ship at sea. That's that's what I think of when I hear the beginning of the Korngold Violin Concerto, as it feels like the beginning of this epic journey. And it's hard, you know, it was not something that I had thought of in terms of this particular context, but I think it's something that now when I'm listening to it, you know, in the same program as the Adler Tuba Concerto, I have to kind of think about both of their shared journeys. Yeah, that's interesting. And also that you mentioned the sea, and that, that made me think immediately of the Sea Hawk, you know, one of the, absolutely. the films that Korngold Yeah, scored. absolutely, one of his great soundtracks. Yeah, so it, he definitely had a theatrical bent to uh, his concert hall music. And I think Sam has his own sense of theater uh, as well in his music it's a direct sense of communication of this sense of your you know not shying away from evoking emotion and i think i would definitely agree with you yeah well there was only one performance of this uh, the world premiere performance so this is a really special performance of the uh, tuba concerto by samuel adler that is going to be available on television this sunday at six o'clock um, let's mention uh, the piece that's going to start the whole thing off, and this is by uh, another uh, composer with local connections. That is Christopher Dietz, who is on faculty at Bowling Green. Um, his wife is a French horn player in the orchestra as well, so this is somebody who has been connected to you guys for a, a long time. Can you talk a little bit about um, his piece? Well, I'd actually love to talk a bit about this sense of how pieces come to be. We talked about... Um, 
direct relationships between Sam Adler and David Salzman being kind of members of the same congregation, and you talk about commissions from an organization to a composer, and it's always, I think, when you're looking at these four pieces that that comprise this program, it's really interesting to kind of see how commission and personal relationships kind of overlap. And I think, you know, you you touched on the relationships that Christopher has um, with our orchestra, and it's kind of interesting to note that, you know, this was one of the first commissions that Stefan Sonderling um, helped to perform when he was the music director of the orchestra um, a few years ago. And so Chris's piece is one of the first pieces that um, Stefan put forward. And it's interesting. There's this, um, it's got a high rhythmic energy. It, I mean, it reminds me a little bit of a piece by Prangcero and called Phenomenon. It's but this piece has this kind of driving rhythmic sense that kind of reminds us of this seething magma underneath the surface of our Earth's crust. And the caldera is the kind of re- referring to that kind of cauldron at the top of, vul- of a volcano. Yeah, it, it sounds like a great uh, concert opener, get things going. It absolutely is. You know, you, yeah, and this you was what Alain had chosen as the first piece of his music director tenure was to to perform this wonderful work by Christitz, uh Caldera. He started, I think, with uh, Beethoven's Fifth, yeah. uh, another famous um, uh, famous opening. <laughs> I've uh, heard of it. Caldera yeah. has a good start. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, then he moved to Caldera and then uh, finished that first program as music director with um, music from from Swan Lake. So, you know, it's I I think it's it's such an interesting um, work. Certainly, uh, Alain loves the uh, sonic world that Chris Dietz writes in. But then on top of that, um, you, you think about what you're trying to communicate in your first program. And I think it's it's it, it speaks a lot to Elaine's generosity of character that he would uh, he would include a local composer and a piece that was commissioned by his predecessor. And uh, I think it's it, it just made such a wonderful statement in that very remarkable program. Yeah, it's worth noting for this uh, special television broadcast. You know, we've been having uh, Elaine Trudell come in and talk about some of the music on camera. He's been doing it from home. But but this time around, we've got um, the composers who are actually chiming in from wherever they happen to be talking about their pieces. So Chris is going to be on there, uh, Sam Adler and Jennifer Higdon as well. Her music is on the program, all three of them. We tried are... to get Corn Gold, but that was difficult. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> let's talk about uh, Jennifer Higdon's piece, because this was a great uh, work, her concerto for orchestra. We heard a little bit of it in an earlier uh, TSO and HD program. Yes, you heard um, uh, just two movements of it during uh, the uh, episode a couple weeks ago, which was uh, profiling great women in music, uh, female composers. And uh, I think, you know, Alain, who's doing such a great job curating each of these programs, has balanced some full uh, concerts in their original programs and then also created some of these uh, kind of piecemeal uh, programs that never existed together in, in the Paris style, but make great programming um, through the magic of technology now. Um, so he he was he was so he, so impressed with the concerto for orchestra that he wanted to include it in both programs. But this will be the full five movement speed. Yeah, well, um, 
Listeners don't have to wait until Sunday to hear Jennifer talk about it. I've got a little clip here of her talking about it with some of the music as well. So let's uh, let's listen to her. Can you just start by giving us a little background on the piece itself? Yeah, this was part of a series of commissions that the Philadelphia Orchestra did for their centennial. They commissioned seven composers, and I was the one unknown composer in the group. I think they felt like they needed to have a Philadelphia composer in the mix. And they actually asked me specifically for a concerto for orchestra, because I'd been living in Philadelphia at that point for about 14 years, so I knew a lot of musicians, and they figured I could write something that would really show off the orchestra, because that's the idea of a concerto for orchestra. It's not a soloist at the front of the stage. It's actually the entire ensemble. So ironically, I found out about this commission in 1998, and it was scheduled to be premiered in 2002. And I live not too far from the hall where the Philadelphia Orchestra plays. And in the intervening years before I started writing this piece, I kept getting stopped by players in the orchestra who are asking me for solos. So I made a grocery list of the requests, and I figured, okay, one of these movements is going to have to accommodate all of these requests for each person's respective solo. So that's actually the middle movement, the third movement, Mm -hmm. which is kind of the heart of the concerto. Did did you turn anybody down? Was like, you know, were any of the players asking you for solos that you... You didn't accommodate? I, you know what? One person said, I don't want any solos, and that person actually got a solo. <laughs> <laughs> I love Serves that. them right. Right. <laughs> interesting to design it in a way that middle movement to design it in a way where I could actually have the principal players have a solo and also let their sections play along with them once they did their solo I thought that was kind of an interesting way to show off the different aspects of an orchestra well the, you have this extended the the movement for percussion instruments that is so interesting and so inventive Mm-hmm. The one thing that, that really strikes me about this concerto, and of course I hear it in a lot of your music, but you seem to have the audience really in mind w- when you're writing for them because it's one thing to sit there and listen to a big old symphony that has tunes crop up time and again or are great you know, moments that crop up, but you have like entire movements that just catch the ear and hold on to it throughout the whole time. It's very entertaining, I have to yeah, say. Yeah, that you know, that movement came out of the fact that the timpanist of Philly, Don Luzzi, actually came to me and said, I'd like to play in the percussion section. Most mm-hmm. people don't know that a timpanist is not allowed to play percussion. They only sit at the timpani. Is that and a so, law or is that? It's a union In rule. Philadelphia it is. Wow. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually went back to the orchestra administration and asked permission for Don to move over to the percussion section. And so I had to allow time for him to get over to the percussion section, then to be able to go back to the timpani. And that's what gave me the idea for doing the percussion movement. I love percussion, and I, but I also thought of all the sections of the orchestra that has changed the most in the 20th century, it's actually the percussion section. They used to just be a cymbal and a bass drum. Then they added a snare drum. But now they play all kinds of instruments. And so there seemed like something that would be kind of cool to have one movement that just emphasized that aspect. It's also the quietest movement in the entire 
the quietest spot really in the entire piece is yeah. the opening of that fourth movement because the players are all bowing pitched percussion bells and crotales and so it's uh it was surprising that it came out okay i was very relieved when <laughs> i heard it <laughs> Composer Jennifer Higdon there talking about her concerto for orchestra. We heard a little bit of it uh, in the background as well. And that piece is uh, on the TSO and HD concert this Sunday afternoon at 6 o'clock on WGTE-TV. Zach and Merwin here with me. Uh, You guys remember the performance, right? Absolutely. Vividly. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, I mean, Jennifer Higdon, somebody who has a local connection, again, through Bowling Green State University. She went there uh, as a student in the 1980s, but um, just somebody who, you know, has these local connections, like Sam Adler does, like Christopher Deeds does. Uh, I mean, I think it's wonderful that the symphony is uh, bringing music by essentially local composers that have international reputations uh, to audiences here. I, I think it says a lot about that performance of the Higdon, though, because the applause from the audience was instantaneous. And it's something that Elaine has really done well is is to bring, um, quote-unquote, modern works of the repertoire onto our stages um, and, and to really convince the listener that it's not scary. It doesn't sound like, you know, the kitchen sink is being thrown down the stairs. It's beautiful music and the audience back in January when we performed it, I just remember going crazy, particularly my wife was sitting next to me and and bouncing up and down in her chair because she couldn't contain her excitement at the final movement, which is exhilarating. But I I just, I I love this work so much. Fantastic. And Merwin, you got to play it, right? Yes, it's actually got a really difficult principal second violin solo, so I'm wondering if that was the solo that the Philadelphia Orchestra player was trying to avoid. <laughs> but it's a wonder it's a wonderful piece of music and I think it's extremely well written and I think one of the things again we were talking about the relationship between kind of commissioning organizations but then also kind of the personal relationships involved is when you have this sense of what players can do and what they're really good at, you create um, solo solo passages or or small ensemble passages that really fit the instrument extremely well. And it was very much fun to play. And I think it's one of those really satisfying feelings after you finish the performance. You've, you've got a real workout in. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. Well, there's certainly a difference between hearing it and seeing it happen and seeing all those players playing their, you know, solos or, or coming together uh, in the music of Jennifer Higdon and everybody else that we've talked about uh, today. This program is happening on, on Sunday at 6 o'clock p.m. on WGTE-TV, part of WGTE Presents, and that is uh, TSO in HD. Uh, we're just about out of time. I want to thank you guys for calling in today. I know it's not the easiest thing. Uh, for us to talk about all of this and and listen to clips and, and, you know, juggle things around uh, by phone when we can't see each other. But that is uh, sort of the that's the, the, the way of the world right now. So we're going to stick with it and uh, keep the music alive. So thanks, guys. Absolutely. Ali. Thank you so much, Brad. 
program is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony, with generous support from the Rita Barber Kern Foundation. You can download episodes of our program as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org lab. You can also subscribe to us through your podcast app of choice, including Apple and Google Podcasts. Well, the concert halls may be dark, but the music lives on through social media as well as our TV series, WGTE Presents. You can stay up to date with what's happening with the Toledo Symphony at their website. That is at toledosymphony.com. Also, there are various social media outlets, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. My thanks again to Zach Vassar and Merwin Sue. I'm Brad Cresswell, and this has been Toledo Symphony Lab from FM 91.